Like that, Bill. This is her picture. Isn't she a cutie? She is. She look like her mother. Oh, she look like her dad. <laughs> no. God help her. Yeah, she wants to work at the range. So we interview. Uh, this is a workshop on using your business as an opportunity, as a platform, and so we're always looking for young people who who want to come. We have four, if I was interviewing her, four things I'd try to find out without her feeling I was trying to find them out. One is, do you like to work? Um, do you like people? Do you love the Lord? And are you open for training? And to find the answers to those four things without just coming out, do you like to work? Sure, everybody likes to work, you know, but hard to find young people today who do. And uh, so uh, those are the four things. But as we go, we have about uh, four to five hundred young people who apply each year. And um, so Mary and I decided a long time ago, we've been doing it for 24 years, we go right to their homes or on the campuses, fraternities, sororities, dorms. And uh, we'll interview a lot of young people that we know that they won't qualify, but they need Jesus Christ. And this gets our foot into their heart's door because they want to come and work. And uh, <laughs> we've had a lot of kids except the Lord never came to work for us. And uh, probably a third of our staff are young people who we've had the privilege of introducing to Christ just in that naturalness of interviewing them for the staff or who came to work for us, not Christians. Uh, one of the biggest automobile uh, dealers in Los Angeles in Orange County, right across from Angel Stadium. His name is Greco. He used to play football for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. And he looks like one, you know, he's built like this. <laughs> and uh, dear Roman Catholic guy, and his son has applied to work there. And uh, he loves the Lord. Uh, but not as we think of it, huh? He loves his church. <laughs> and he loves the work. He loves people. And he's open for training. So a good chance we'll accept him. Because the chances are, within a matter of weeks, he'll accept the Lord there. And that's exciting, huh? <laughs> Had a dad call me uh, from Moline, Illinois. He's chairman of the board of Montgomery Elevator Company. These escalators and elevators and out at the airports and so forth. And he said, I don't know if you remember me, uh, Bob, but our family was at your ranch ten years ago. And I said, yeah, Jerry, I do remember you. And your brother came with your family. Yeah, I said. He said, I got a problem. I don't know if you can help me. But he said, I have a son who's flunked out of Notre Dame. And he said, this is a disgrace. He said, it's tough on my pride because he said, I'm on the board. And he's, he was chairman of the athletic committee. He's been having problems, by the way, the last couple of years with his new football coach. Uh, but he said, uh, my son is a disaster area right now. He said, the only boy I've got, he said, i got four daughters. And he said, the only pleasant memories that he has of his childhood is that two weeks that we spent at your ranch. He said, he and I have not spoken in a decent conversation for 11 years, a year before we came to the ranch in the last... He said, we're on a different frequency. He said, I cannot communicate with him. He said, uh, he became an alcoholic when he was about 14. He's been a chain smoker since junior high days, or he went to a parochial school, so it would be equivalent of a junior high school. He said, is there any chance that I could pay you to hire him on your staff for long enough to help him a little bit? I said, what do you think uh, 
Jerry, that uh, we can help. He said, well, I just remember from 10 years ago that your staff had something and I'd like my boy to have it. So I said, well, does he want to do this? Oh, if he thought he could come to Lost Valley, he'd jump at it. And I said, well, <laughs> but if you haven't communicated with him for 10, 11 years, well, he said, I think I know him. Well, the upshot was that Jim came out. He's six foot four and uh, raised with lots of money and didn't have much drive, didn't have much purpose. And within about a month out there, some of our guys in the bunkhouse one night introduced Jim to Jesus Christ. He had never heard. He had never had a chance to accept or reject. And I believe this is the condition of most people today. They have a caricature, you know, of what it's all about. But to see it you know, in life, in, in, uh, in, in living reality, <laughs> in real color, uh, and when Jim saw what it really was and what the issues were. You see, a Catholic is so easy because they believe the basics that we believe. You know, there's other things, but don't get all tied up with that. I would say that probably 60, maybe 70% of the decisions that we see at the range are out of the Catholic faith. And many of them stay right in. We have, we have a year-round staff of 25. I'd say at least six or eight of them are Roman Catholic kids growing in grace, you know, and <laughs> so forth. Well, Jim accepted the Lord, and he stayed with us for about a year and a half. And then uh, he went back to Notre Dame to finish up, and they accepted him, uh, maybe because his father has established four chairs of learning there, half a million each. Uh, maybe he had a little leverage, huh? Uh, but uh, Jim went back. What a joy I had uh, about two years ago when he was back there to go back to South Bend, Indiana and one night sit in the dorm and listen in as he led about six other guys in a Bible study. You know, the Assurance of Salvation little series of the Navigators. <laughs> I couldn't believe my eyes, you know, here I am in Notre Dame and, and by the way, there are a lot of Christian young people there on the campus and there are some godly professors there. Don't categorize, you know, and just write off a school because of the name or the tradition or all. And uh, Jim now, I just talked to him this last week, is back at Cornell in the hotel school getting his master's and he wants to go into the hospitality business. I don't know whether we had an influence or not. <laughs> and his daddy is on my list of the ten most wanted men. You know what I mean by that? You know, the FBI has that. And so I have a list. I don't have my Bible that has them, but <laughs> I can only get the eight on here. But it's uh, ten most wanted for God. And uh, I just have that little, it's just uh, I carry three by five cards around with me, and it's a little three by five card that I keep in my Bible. As I, I, I use the walk through the Bible and wherever I'm reading and right now I'm back there in the Pentateuch and every day I pray for those ten men and uh, oh Jerry Hank his dad is right up here at the top of us he's close to to the Lord all of that as the introduction to our session for today how do you use your business I'm privileged that my work is also my ministry situation. That's why I got into it. I was in the plumbing and heating business in Los Angeles prior to that. And you're in people's attics or you're in their basements as a plumber. And there's not too many people who live in their attics or their basements. <laughs> and uh, usually it's somebody else's apartment house. And we did a lot of backflow valves in big uh, apartment houses. and. Uh, so it's usually the manager or somebody else uh, that's called the owner, and they call us, and we were there. And I, you know, I'd like to get into some place where there are people. And we took our family on vacations, and we ended up buying one of these places that we visited. Uh, I'm sharing all this, and then we'll get down to where you are. We have four building blocks in our philosophy.
Our number one philosophy is to provide the best possible ranch vacation that these people have ever had. That's our number one philosophy. My Christian friends say to me, and Jack Wurtson is one of them, said, no, nah, that's not number one. What you have as number two is number one. I said, no, Jack, no. Nah. What is number two? To establish a basis of communicating Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He said, that's number one. And I say, no. This is number one because this is not a Christian resort. This is a commercial resort. And unless I say in my advertising, this is a Christian, you know, we'll have Bible studies and we'll be sharing Christ with you and so forth, I would be immoral. I'd be unethical to invite the uh, traveling public, advertise in the Wall Street Journal, or do you take uh, Sunset out here, or uh, Southern Living, or one of those magazines that we advertise in, AAA, so forth. But our commitment is to provide the best possible vacation that this family has ever had in order that we might establish a bridge of friendship to introduce them to Christ. We do this in order to do this. But this has to be tops in our thinking. Out of this comes this. But this is a result of their asking us questions. They see our lifestyle. They see our ethics. They see our morality. They, whatever they're looking, they see our character. You know, the things that the world wants without Jesus Christ, huh? And number three is built upon that, and uh, that is to maintain a business of excellence to our suppliers. That means paying our bills on time. <laughs> Boy, in the early years, this was a tough one. Oh. It means also getting our discounts of 2% or whatever if we pay on time. It means being honest with them and expecting them to be right with us, but maintaining a business of excellence. And that means building a staff that is committed to this proposition, who's devoted to Jesus Christ and who are disciplined in their own personal life. We have a staff of 25 year-round and we have 25 collegiates that come and help us in the summer. So in the summer we have a ratio of one staff for every two guests. And that provides a tremendous overhead. We don't pay the kids all that much. Your daughter wouldn't earn very much. Oh, she'll earn a couple thousand dollars in the summer. Get, get her out of your hair and we'll feed her and you don't have to, Harry. But this is what enables us to do this. This is what gives us, you see, the assurance of Colorado Springs and Denver and the hospitality business and and uh, so forth and it's this and this that gives us a four-star rating and I'm not saying these things to, to toot my own horn but what we're talking about is how do you use your business as an opportunity huh for a witness and I'm just sharing you from first personal testimony here that our staff and our business and our clientele enables us to do this and this is basically what we're talking about right here huh how do you establish that those bridges of friendship now we have several advantages number one is that we own the business and contrary to the philosophy in the hospitality business we don't have a bar and Las Vegas has given us the idea either gambling or liquor is the soul of your business. In our business, with the clientele we have, we would probably be netting somewhere around fifty to $60,000 a year off of liquor if we had a bar. 
Well, that's a pretty healthy profit picture, isn't it, for a little putty wagon business like we have? But because we, people say, how can you run a bit? You know, when we bought that thing 24 years ago, 25 years ago now, we could not get a commercial loan because we weren't going to have a bar. Even from Christians who were on uh, the loan committee of banks and savings and loans and so forth. Because they know that historically that's where the money is in the hospitality business. Sheridan, Hilton, Marriott, <laughs> that's, that's where the money is. That's the bottom line. Well, when it, you own it yourself, you can make those decisions, huh? And if you go under, they can say, well, if you'd had a bar, you wouldn't have gone under. And sometimes <laughs> we thought about it, you know. Ooh, man. Uh, when you have a business, you can decide who do you want to have. Well, God got a hold of my heart when I was 30. We got into this when I was 40. You don't make a change like this when you're 40. But we wanted to have a ministry in the lives of people. And, and it wasn't being provided in the plumbing business. So we thought, well, let's do something else. Didn't know anything about it. I knew the front end of a horse from the back end of a horse. And fortunately, I had a wife that loved to cook and loved hospitality hospitality and my dad was a YMCA secretary so I had people in my blood since I was a little kid but we didn't know anything about the business but we thought well let's get into it and give it a try let's go after families because I'd like to see some of their dads like Jerry Hanks come to know Jesus we feel like one of the great needs is something that brings families together and not on vacation splits them that way. Where teenagers can come and have a blast. So we were able to establish, you see, this platform, this ministry, because we didn't have entangling alliances. So let me now, with that as a background, forgive me for... Uh, if you want to pass some of these out and uh, just uh, for whatever they're worth, and we'll go through this. Let's see, what time do we have to quit here? It's 1.15. What, what do we have, about uh, 45 minutes or so? All right, so we, we, we have to be through at one uh, 2 o'clock, huh? Now, feel free to jump in and uh, challenge anything. Anything up to now that you'd like to know about? Or I've got um, three giveaways here. So we're going to stick pretty much with this. Pardon me? Oh, yes, sure. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Where else? Oh, well, this is old hat to you, Jerry. You, know, you probably wrote, the, wrote it. Okay. Yeah, let's wait till they. You know, I'm sorry, we weren't trying to cut you off at the pass. Now, all this is just suggested. We can't cover the whole waterfront because you know there have been books written on all this, so you have to take it from where I'm coming from. Evangelism comes down to one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. You've heard that. But fed beggars have difficulty getting next to hungry ones, huh? And that's where we are today. Christians accustomed to the king's palace find themselves more at home with redeemed beggars. They get so occupied with keeping up the palace that they don't stroll into the streets outside to call others who haven't yet found bread. Sound familiar? Boy, you know, it's cozy and comfortable in the fellowship of the redeemed. Huh? Just like here. We've got terminology. We've got music. We've got prayers. Uh, we go through all the gymnastics and jump through the hoops and so forth. One of the principles that we operate on the ranch is that they will be in the majority. And that's uncomfortable. See, I was raised in a church where if you wanted to reach people for Christ, you bring them into our services. We, you know, we'd have special meetings in the Presbyterian church. You don't call them revivals or evangelistic. That's too baptistic. Uh, you know, so we'd have new life meetings, you know. Uh, we'd have uh, preaching uh, services well, then trying to reach the non-Christian and they'd come in and, and do our thing 
here, 90% of our clientele are non-Christian. They feel comfortable. They are in the majority. And I had difficulty with this first paragraph. Perhaps you know non-Christians at the job or in your neighborhood, but you find it difficult to build bridges to them. Relationships require commitment and time. For the men or women immersed in religious activities, merely meeting unbelievers demands creative efforts. Where do you begin? And now the next paragraphs are just some suggestions on how to get started in your situation. See, people pay top dollar to come so we can witness to them, but they don't know it. <laughs> I mean, they know they're paying top dollar. Uh, we have a little word, ooh-ah. And uh, the first day you hear it is on Monday because they haven't ridden a horse for quite a while. And they're on it for an hour and they think they, somebody put glue in the saddle they can hardly get out of it. And they step off and boy, their crotch hurts. Oh, <laughs> some of them get blisters. And they holler, ooh, and take six or eight steps over to the jacuzzi and say, ah. The last time they hear it is on Sunday when they leave and they look at the bill, American plan, and they say, ooh, and I'm standing there to say, ah. <laughs> you know, well, how do you get involved with this ooh-ah crowd, you know? And I suggest some ways that I, Mary and I have done it, even down to the PTA and uh, the fourth paragraph. Boy, I remember how I went through that. Marion wanted to join and I didn't because I knew that I'd get hooked and I'd end up being president of PTA or the social chairman or uh, whatever. But uh, this is before we had the rage. Uh, boy, I tell you, I got involved with the community and then we got onto going around door to door for the blood bank, you know, and taking our kids around uh, my little daughter selling scout cookies and then my boy had a paper route and I went around with him to collect them. Boy, you get to know your neighbors that way, huh? And my son had a, a lawn mowing service. This is when we still lived in South Pasadena. And I got to know the dads of all the lawns because my son would get too reckless. He was more fun gearing that lawnmower up than he was giving them a good lawn. You get to know people that way, huh? But, now notice, once you begin meeting people outside your church fellowship, how do you turn casual acquaintances into redemptive relationships? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe not in those words. How do you turn all these neat people? I'm a Rotarian. I better say also I'm a CBMCer. <laughs> so I, I do have balance, but uh, I'm involved in Rotary as a rancher. But boy, I meet those guys, you know? How do you do it? Well, my situation, I can do it. We invited, I'm on a couple of committees, we invite them over to our home in the springs for a barbecue, and we put a big beef on, you know, for the committee meeting of all the guys. And they weren't there. You know, this was not an evangelistic thing, this was just part of Rotary and a committee meeting, you know, in our home, on our turf. And then we'd go to their home. And then I invited the whole Rotary Club up to the ranch to spend half a day. Man, that was great, you know, because we picked up the tab. You know, you always like that when you go someplace for free, huh? How do you, how do, you do it? The key, take time for people. Not necessarily great chunks of time, five, ten minutes given casually, regularly can transform your life and their life. Are you a gardener? Raise tomatoes, roses, bake. Hey, my uh, daddy just died the uh, year before last, 94, up in Kingsburg. And uh, he lived longer with his second wife than he did with my mom. My mother was never a healthy woman. She died when I was a teenager, very sickly but very godly woman and he was married to Alma and she's still alive she's way up in her 80s now and uh, so once a year or so we go to Kingsburg and so while we were in Kingsburg uh, last month why a knock came on the door and here is Mrs. Olson it's a Swedish town so it had to be an Olson didn't it and uh, Mrs. Olson came her husband ran the drugstore and he died 
and to use some of her free time now that he's gone, she bakes bread. And she bakes 12 loaves three times a week, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And this was Wednesday. And she prays, Lord, give me six Christians who need a loaf of bread. That's her cup of water, huh? And six non-Christians. And now Kingsburg is a small community. So she goes out into the, the uh, grape arbors <laughs> and the fruit land around Kingsburg. And she prays, Lord, now, 12 times 3 is how much? Good. Saturday afternoon is tough, isn't it? One of the guys got his computer and was working it over. Yeah, 36. 36 contacts Mrs. Olson has a week. Half of them, Christian, I don't know, you know, she cuts it right down the middle of the loaf or not. But that's her way of getting her foot into the door. She goes to the two little hospitals there and finds out who has just gone home. She may know them, she may not know them. Beautiful. Take a loaf of bread to a new family on your block. Backyard volleyball, croquet. Invite new acquaintances to come in. Hey, here's one. This is heavy. Did you realize that one of the qualifications to be a leader in the church is that you are given to hospitality? This would absolutely wreak havoc with a lot of churches today if we'd say that's a qualification. I'm fairly well acquainted with a pastor whose wife said, I'm willing that you should take that church if that's what you want to do, but I want you to know that our home will not be open to any people of the church. She goes her way with art and music and the children. And the last I heard, and they've been there maybe three years, no member of the church has ever been in their home, at least socially. I say that that's contrary to the Word of God, huh? Because hospitality, you know? It's getting awful quiet in here. <laughs> in short, let the things that make your life enjoyable spill over and bring delight to others. I guess what we're talking about ministry should be something that we enjoy doing. Right, Glenn? You never had problems with this, have you? You always enjoyed... Man, I always enjoyed coming down to San Diego and being in their home. Sharing a meal has a way of warming up a man's stomach. <laughs> and friendship. Oh, man, good grub is a great, you know, grub in the gospel. They go hand in hand, huh? And You know, Joe Bailey's the gospel blimp. You see, we Christians have difficulty with that kind of thinking. That's why C.S. Lewis goes over the heads of most Christians. His writing. Um, a popular book today by Oz Guinness on the uh, uh, gravedigger's file. Uh, people don't understand it. We Christians, we just like to have it laid out, you know, mashed potatoes and peas and apple pie, you know, real like that. And uh, Joe Bailey years ago wrote a little book uh, on the gospel blimp that the way to reach your neighbor is to hire a blimp and have it fly over with uh, Jesus saves trailing along behind you know and then if they look up from you know where they're down there then throw some tracks down on them you know <laughs> well you get it but a lot of people have missed it completely you know they didn't understand he thought that he was taking a poke at their evangelism well he was but in a very subtle way When you include a non-Christian on a picnic or a brunch or invite them to a dinner party, spend time. It goes back up, you see, to that early paragraph, the key, take time. It takes money, doesn't it? It takes energy. There's nothing that drains you more than people. Hard work kills nobody, but boy, people just, it drains you. 
Lewis has defined friendship as two people standing side by side enjoying something of mutual interest or friendship, two men in a boat. <laughs> and then let that friendship blossom naturally. We live in a world that's broken. Everybody has a secret hurting place. Now the next sentence. Feel around the rim of a friend's life till you find the crack. Boy, that takes time, huh? That takes love. That takes prayer. I thought that perhaps our greatest ministry at the ranch would be our clientele. It is. But I was wrong. Perhaps our greatest ministry are these people who serve us. The guy who brings up the milk from the dairy. The guy who drives the truck for noble mercantile. The fellow who comes in to repair, take care of our IBM typewriters. The bailman from Mountain State Bell. Our bell service, telephone service. The guy who comes up to check our cattle. We just had about three or four calves abort in the last 10 days and we brought in the vet. He's a young guy trying to get his business established in Woodland Park. And over a period of days and weeks and months and years, just to feel around the rim of their life till you find the crack, huh? Who are they hurting? The guy down at the cleaners. The gal there at the cafe where I stop and get a cup of coffee and a sweet roll as I'm buzzing down to Colorado Springs there in Willow Park. Oh, she's hurting. You know why she's hurting? She finally told me after I guess I'd been going in there for several years, a teenage daughter who got pregnant at the age of 16 and she had to ship her down someplace in Arizona to have the baby and now she's back in school there and into drugs. It's at that point that people open most easily to God's love and grace. huh? God's love and grace in the Bible? No. God's love and grace in a Bible study? No. God's love and grace at your church? No. God's love and grace incarnational in you. And, and, and friend, there's no point in our going any farther if, if that isn't what you want to do. That's where it is. That's where it was with Jesus, huh? The common people heard him glad. He was a friend of publicans and sinners. He could feel, he hated it, but he could feel relaxed enough with that woman taken in adultery. They could carry on a decent conversation and say, go sin no more. Who's going to throw the first stone? Huh? Can you imagine how he must have felt with Judas on that inside crowd and he knew all about him? Well, don't point your finger at Judas because God's got far more problems with me than he did with Judas Christ. When non-Christian friends sense your genuine concern and empathy, they will turn to you for strength and counsel. And boy, that's when the floodgates open up. Now, we got a couple more. <laughs> uh, let's see. I don't know. So I asked him, I said, well, did Jesus wash your sins away? <laughs> uh, did, you, did he flush it out? And uh, we had a big laugh about that one. <laughs> Trouble is, now he incorporates that into his testimony. <laughs> okay. Now, the question is, how do you lead a conversation to Christ? How did I get a John Hayward from riding along on a horse huh, to what we really want to talk? Don't you find that's one of the big problems? Man, we can talk around Robin Hood's barn about politics, finances, the huge debt of the American government, all the rest. But how do you get it down to where it really is? Or after you've taken time to build bridges, how do you witness to them? How do you get from the weather? 
Okay, ask God to direct the conversation towards spiritual things. In other words, you pray about it. Here are some of the questions that I have used, and I do use. And we could spend the rest of the afternoon just, I could give you illustrations of the exciting things. Do you, what do you feel is the basic cause of our problems today in America? That's a good one. Then you can bring it on down. Have I ever told you about a decision I made when completely, which completely revolutionized the way I look at life? I use this a lot at the range. Well, they know I have never shared that with them, and I know it. But I, you know, have I ever told you about a decision I have made that was so revolutionary that it just... Most of our guests think I'm a Mormon. Now, I didn't say moron, I said Mormon. <laughs> Why? We live in Colorado, right next to Utah. We live communally at the ranch. We do everything except sleep together. These 50 young people and Marion and I, we eat all of our meals with the guests or with the staff. Uh, we work together, we play together. I don't smoke, I don't drink. These are the images that they have a Mormon. We're a very close-knit family. We're a happy people. We're optimistic. These are the images of Mormonism, huh? There's a religion. So they think we are that. And so when I say this, they think, uh-oh, he's going to tell us about the church, you know? And they are kind of interested in Mormonism. And I've had, oh, I bet every summer I have several who say, no, but I'd be interested in knowing more about the Mormon church. And I ask this question. Interesting, huh? What do you think a real Christian is? I asked a young lad that uh, over in Dallas the other night. He was applying for a job. He'd driven all the way up from Houston to meet me. Well, that's, in, that's intent, huh? He was committed to seek a job at Lost Valley if he'd drive all the way from Houston get a motel room just so he could spend 45 minutes. And so I said to this young lad, I said, Scott, tell me, what is a real Christian? And I gave a very wishy-washy answer. And I said, well, let me ask you a follow-up question. I said, I don't mean to embarrass you, but just be real honest with me. Do you think you are a real Christian? And the reason I put real and underlined it there is because there's so much today of, huh? If you're an American, if you love apple pie and Chevrolets and baseball and uh, the Los Angeles first baseman who is now down here with the Padres, and uh, you're a Christian. Have we ever discussed how I became interested in Christianity? So forth. Now, God will be pleased to use anything you... You know, that's why you, when you think that you've got a corner on the right questions or the way to do it, the Holy Spirit will throw the whole thing out, huh? Let me have an illustration. We had the Buchanans at the ranch the third week of June this last summer. And Rich and his dear wife, and she is German. I'll tell you, she's German. She has the brogue. She's got the blonde hair, the blue eyes. She's got the build. And uh, she's got the name... And they came with their little fella. And uh, he's a Ph.D. in economics and business at Bowling Green University. And he's smart. And he knows it and he lets you know it. And his wife is more brilliant than he is. She's a German Jew. And she spent time in Israel and, and all the... Jewish places and her, her dad and mother are both doctors one was for the Nazis and one was against the Nazis and so the home was split and, and they divorced or separated over, over that uh, when she was a little girl at the end of the war so they come to the ranch she's watching our staff everything that goes on she comes to me, and uh, this is on Thursday morning, no, Thursday afternoon, right after lunch. She said, Mr. Foster, I got a request. And I said, well, if I can grant it, I'd love to do it. What is it, Mrs. Buchanan? She said, could I come to your staff meeting tonight? And I said, well, 
I said, that's an interesting request. Why would you want to come to our staff meeting? She said, some guests who were here last week said that they set in on it and listened. They weren't in the meeting, but they listened. And you talked to your staff on how to be enthusiastic. And I would like to hear what you're going to say this week. Would you like to know what I was going to talk to him about that night? How do you lead somebody to Jesus Christ? <laughs> you know, it had been easy for me to say, Sure, Ms. Buchanan, we're going to talk about the enthusiasm tonight. Even when you're too pooped to participate, you still are with it. My topic on that night was, How do you... And it was the bridge illustration. And I'd already put it on the flip chart and was ready to go. So I thought, well, now, Lord, you knew about that. So I said, sure, if you'd like to sit in. Oh, I'd love to. So I thought, well, as long as she's here, why, I'll just let her be my candidate. And I uh, had these 50 young people there, and I went through the whole thing, the whole bridge illustration, made it as plain as I could, all the more so because she was there. As soon as I was through that night, she was right up here. She said, thank you, Bob. Appreciated that. I got two questions for you. I said, oh, oh boy. She said, I don't know if you know that I'm an agnostic. I said, no, I didn't know that. Yep, she said, and my two questions are these. First of all, why Jesus Christ? And my second question is, would you tell me once again, how do I receive him into my life? Now, gentlemen and lady, there was nothing that was said up to that time except the lifestyle, huh? But God had been preparing her in Germany, in Israel, down in um, Brazil. I didn't know until afterwards that she had been in Cornell as an undergraduate student in business and she took a course from my son who was helping to get through in his master's program by teaching in the undergraduate school and occasionally he'd share something from the ranch and she saw something in this young teacher and that's why they came to the ranch I didn't know this and so I thought well rather than my answering your two questions I said would you like to talk to my wife? Oh, do you think she'd take the time? I said, she'd love to. So I ran downstairs, and she was watching the desk for the phone, and I told her very quickly, and she grabbed her Bible, went upstairs. This was probably 9.30 at night. At 11.30, Marion came in, and I could just tell by the look on her face that God had done his work. That woman accepted the Lord. She went back to her cabin and got Rich out of bed, set him down, and for about an hour and a half they had a talk about what she did. She didn't know what she'd just done, you know, except she, it just popped out and now she was a, a new creature in Christ Jesus. Well, I don't have to tell you that it wasn't very long after that he accepted the Lord. And it's so exciting to see him growing, you know. Now, that disannuls almost everything on here, huh? had nothing to do with it except God did it. And sometimes it's just fun to be in the way or along the way when God does something, huh? And that's exactly what happened here. Since your ultimate goal is to discuss the person of Jesus Christ to some extent, you should try to control the conversation. Don't dominate it. But don't let it get off onto all this and that. And boy, how our guests love, our doctors. We have a high percentage. If you're going to get sick, come to Lost Valley because it'll be a doctor for whatever your needs are. Going to have a baby, come to the ranch. You know, if you're going to break a leg, come to the ranch. If you need a general OB man, we had a, a fella and his wife come. And the night, the Saturday night, they came and knocked on the door about 10 o'clock and he had a great big sack. And I said, what's the sack? And he said, well, we brought all these bottles of liquor and wine, whiskey, and we saw that everybody else around here wasn't really doing it, so we decided we wouldn't do it, and so we thought we'd like you to have it. What well, do you say? I don't ever drink that stuff. 
So I said, well, thank you. That's very gracious of you. We appreciate that. I didn't tell him I wasn't going to drink this stuff. And so we took it in and put it in a closet. <laughs> About 3 o'clock in the morning, a knock came on our bedroom door. And here was a frantic wife. And she said, my husband has just had a heart attack. And then she just broke. So Marion took care of her. I went down and got Bob Mosser out of bed, who's a doctor, had been coming out for vacations. The first thing he says, do you have any whiskey? 24 hours before, I wouldn't have known where to find whiskey. Now I had a whole kitchen full of it. <laughs> and you know, we really saved that man's life. I mean, you know, I'm not going to blame God for that whiskey deal, but uh, God knew all about that. And by the way, I had a chance to, to witness to Bob Mosser, Dr. Mosser and his wife through that. And I had a chance to witness to this uh, man from uh, Fulton, Missouri, who down the hospital. I said, you know you're sitting there in that bed alive today because of a story. And I want to tell you the story. And I gave him Romans 8.28. And I said, there's some reason why you're still alive. And I think God has something to do with it. He didn't accept the Lord, but I got a letter from his wife a year ago last Christmas that he had accepted the Savior. Oh, just another in the chain, huh? Relax. <laughs> if you're nervous, you tend to talk too much and make statements that get you sidetracked. Okay, you can read on that, how to lead that conversation. Now I want to give you out the, the last one. Some of you have seen this. Jim Ingle is a Ph.D. in communications. And uh, we're not going to have time to go through all of this. But I think this is a, an exciting thing. It takes the pressure off if you know where people are. So as you look at the chart. And forgive it because we uh, put this in the terminology of the ranch. When I say God's role, staff role, that means our role, you and me. And in the guest role, that would be your friends, your neighbors. So the terminology relates. Does everyone have one? Okay. All right. Just very sensitivity to our guests or to people. Just stay with me here. Over on the left, God's role, general revelation. That's the Word of God, nature, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, so forth. Brings conviction. And out of conviction, there comes regeneration. That's what God does. And then... The ministry of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the growth and grace. Now, we can't do any of that, can we? That's up to God in His sovereignty. All right, let's look at our role. A lifestyle that demands an explanation. Modeling through love. Sharing through proclamation. Invitation through persuasion. I don't mean arm twisting, but give them a chance to accept or reject. Have you ever considered the options? Have you ever considered that God so loved you that He would like, you know? And going back to how to lead a conversation to Christ. That's what we do. We start with the modeling. And out of the modeling, they start asking questions. You can use material. You can use methods. Whatever you want. You can bring them to church, to a meeting. You can take them to a luncheon. And then comes the invitation. And then we are, our job is to follow up and to cultivate and to pray. To exhort and to encourage. All right, now look at where they're coming from. I think it would help us to realize that many people are minus nine. They have no conscious thoughts about God. They're just way out there in the Thule's. There's not too many of those people in America. There are some. You get right down to the nub of it. There's not very many people minus nines or beyond. There are some. That's, you know, that's just, Jim Ingle put that as far out. An awareness of a supreme being. You've met people like that, huh? Well, I know there's somebody up there. They may be an agnostic and so forth. But an initial awareness of the gospel. Six, minus six, an awareness of the fundamentals. And you see, each one of these, they're coming a little bit more. Uh, 
I take a pack trip each um, fall with a group of men. We try to have about half Christian and half non-Christian. And the three of us that always go are Don Tab, who's a pastor in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, was our head wrangler for about three or four years, Cliff Barrows, the song leader for Billy Graham, and myself. And then we try and get some other fellows to go with us. And we've been doing this now for probably 14, 15 years. And on the pack trip this last year, with non-Christians right there, one of them was a graduate of Annapolis, another guy is a PhD, another one guy was a doctor. We talked about where, where men are. Cliff made this observation that 70% of the decisions that they have in their crusades or through TV are people who have had a background of the fundamentals. They know. In other words, it's, it's people who are close to it that they're reaching. They're not reaching the way out people, you know, they, the folks that just, you know, are indifferent. At least they'll come, they'll tune in, they'll listen. 70%. And then, you see, as I'm praying for somebody, I want to know where is he in relationship to becoming a Christian? How far away out there is he? And boy, this helps in praying for them and cultivating them and bringing them along. What do you give them to read? You see, if it's a fellow that is just very near the kingdom, I may give him a John Stott book on what it means to be a real Christian. If he's somebody that's way out there, you see, then I'll give him something entirely different that at least feed that appetite. Then when he becomes a, a new creature, when he, he makes that decision, then that post-decision evaluation and incorporating into the body and, and the change in his conceptual and behavioral growth and right on down and I don't mean that social action is the last thing that happens but that's probably uh, they're not really interested in a lot of other people they're so excited at the fact that they're now alive in Christ huh but I think if you can get an awareness of where people are we divide we can take a care of about a hundred guests in the summer we have 50 on our staff and we take those hundred people and we divide them up prayer-wise. So it would be the hundred most wanted. And so we have two of our staff, or one of our staff, praying for two people all week long. Or it may be a crew. We, we change it around every week so it isn't the same. They don't get into a rut. We'll have the wranglers. And there's usually around 10 wranglers in the summer. And those 10 wranglers take 20 of our guests. And every week, every day, they're praying for those people. That God will be praying. They may not have the opportunity. But we get that prayer going up for them, huh? And what we do is we go over this in orientation with them so that... They try to find out where are those 20 people in this relationship with God. Are they way out there, minus 9, minus 10, minus 12, or are they close to the kingdom? Now, the guests don't know anything about this. You see, they don't know this is going on. And I'm sure Mrs. Buchanan, when she found the Lord on Thursday night, it was the result of three or four days of a band of young girls praying for her. You can do it, huh? Once again, I apologize for using my business and my experiences, but that's all I can talk about, you see? Because that's where I'm coming from. Do you have any questions? How do you use your business? Because you're sitting there thinking, translating what I'm saying into where you're coming from as a teacher. As a blue-collar man working in a corporate situation. As a private entrepreneur. As somebody who's been doing it a long time and you're not really having all that much success. If you have a wife, boy, it's good to team up on some of this, huh? Not gang up, but team up. And what can you do together? By the way, 
particularly to the men, you'll forgive me here, particularly to the men, I find that one of the hardest things in marriage is to get together and pray with your wife. It's amazing how few men consistently pray with their wife. Mary and I like to get down beside our bed, on one side of the bed because we have a king size and she's way over there. I, you know, I guess we can sleep that way, but when we pray, we stay on one side. Do you do that? Boy, you know that? And then begin to pray for people. Every night that we can do it. I won't say every night because it isn't possible because we go to bed sometimes different times or things happen. But every night that we can do it, we kneel down beside the bed and I say, Honey, who's on the ranch tonight that we need to pray together about? Sometimes it's our staff. Sometimes it's zeroing on a specific. Sometimes it's a teenager we know is given. And boy, that pulls you together with your wife. That's how you use your business. First thing in the morning when I walk in, I usually check into the office because I'm spending from 7 to 9 with the guests in the dining room. I come into the office about 9 o'clock. Why, my little secretary, Annette, comes in. She sees me walk in or I holler, okay, Annette, and she comes on in. And before we start anything, unless there's an exception emergency, we pray for one or two people. I am convinced that this kind cometh not forth except by prayer and fasting. Huh? We usually had all these billboards around the town referring to God. There's a slogan underneath that says, families who pray together stay together. Yeah, kind of a corny, maybe even a ham, but boy, it, it's true. Oh, what do you do uh, when someone comes to know the Lord, like uh, Buchanan lady? And I know as Christians, just going to the camp, we get all pumped up, and get a hot mountaintop high. <laughs> it must be really hard when someone like that has no Christian friends. They go back to the city, say, in Ohio. Do you, is there any follow-up or anything? Or you oh, yeah. Unknown to me, there is a navigator representative in Bowling Green. Called him, and he said, well, I know him. I haven't taken a class from him but I knew who they are. And he was over there within a couple of days after they got back. Interesting, without any of us saying anything, they decided to leave the church where they were going, which was a country club, and they're going to Grace Brethren, which is out of Winona Lake, a real Bible teaching church. I, I suggested to him, he's just a few miles uh, south of, um, oh, is it Dayton? And uh, that they've got a, Real neat CBMC. She's into Bible study fellowship. He's tied in with a bunch of Christian businessmen. I found out that there's another Christian professor in the history department there at Bowling Green. Went over and said, Rich, I hear something's happening in your life. He said, where'd you hear it? Bob Foster called me from Lost Valley. And he shared his testimony. And uh, So, God has his people hiding in the word work all over, huh? Yeah, and... Uh, a little Catholic family from Fort Wayne, the Dave Nortons, found the Lord there. And so they decided to go to their priest and tell him what had happened and find out what they should do. Because I wouldn't tell them what to do. And uh, I knew what would happen. So they went to the priest and asked the priest if he'd ever been born again. And the priest suggested that maybe they should change churches. Uh, parishes, that's the word. He didn't say church, parish. And would you believe this strong, almost bigoted Catholic young couple ended up in the most fundamental evangelical Bible preaching way out in right field. They joined that church. Whose church was it? David Jeremiah's church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And they sat under David's preaching and you know, they never heard anything like that. TV cameras up and down the aisles, you know. And, all. and for a Catholic, unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I am convinced. Uh, Philippians, with clothes. here's a good verse. Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Isn't that exciting? 
I saw a sign down, I set in on, I uh, didn't know if it was in all the rooms or not, uh, down where Fort Madison's workshop is, you know, that personal evangelism is simply being available to God and to His power to speak through you and then leaving the results with Him. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Father in heaven, thank you that you've called us to be your witnesses, Acts 1.8. We shall receive power, and that's what we're scared of, that we're going to fail, we're going to miss it. And as salesmen, we don't like to have an interview if we don't think that we can really come through with the goods and get the name on the dotted line. And yet, Lord, that's up to you. You just want to give us the power and then send us out to be your witnesses, whether it be in Jerusalem or the uttermost part of the earth. Help us to know how and to learn how and to be concerned about using our businesses, our homes, our telephones, our backyards, our cars, as a witness for Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Excuse me, let me get this thing off of here and I'll. Lord bless. Thank you very much for this. Thank you. You know, I'd be interested in communication. Yeah, I gave away all the brochures, but I do have a card.